many people that I've uh, talked to this morning that uh, had a rough night's sleep. And uh, all I can tell you is uh, Connie and I slept like a baby. I didn't even know there was a storm last night. So, uh, something to look forward to as you age. So grateful for your uh, generosity this morning in giving to our annual World Missions contribution. You're going to be hearing a lot more about Corpus Christi, about uh, some of our other works, certainly over in Russia. But uh, very excitingly, this summer, one of the uh, one of the uh, places that the funds directly benefit will be our region, because this summer we'll be having uh, two interns from the Monterey Church uh, serving in our campus ministry and training this summer, and that's David and Kati, and uh, you'll get to know them and love them. Connie and I certainly have, and uh, we're excited to be welcoming them in June to be part of our campus staff. Uh, for the summer. But thank you again for your generosity and we know that God's work will be furthered because of your uh, giving here this morning. We are coming to the end of our five-month series that, believe it or not, we started all the way back in January on community. And uh, what a great study of one another Christianity it's been. And I trust that as you look at this season that is about to pass in your spiritual life, that you can definitely look and see great strides made in your relationships in the body of Christ. And uh, we're about to enter another season as we go into the summer months. And uh, we're going to be talking about something that I'm very, very excited about, and so is Pierre and the other staff brothers. And that is we're going to be focusing this summer specifically on Jesus and uh, looking at what we call the Jesus habits and uh, some of the great spiritual disciplines that Jesus possessed in his character that we would do well to imitate in our life. And uh, when we meet together as a region this summer, our theme will be the Jesus habits. And uh, we look forward to this season of strengthening our spiritual lives going forward. I thought long and hard about what would be an appropriate close to our study on community. And uh, it became very clear to me what I wanted to end on. And so the message today is going to focus on conflict, resolution, and community. Now, if you've been around the church for very long, or let's take the church out of it. If you've been in a relationship for very long, years, decades... You're going to have times where there might be, and likely will be, conflict. And to let me be even more specific, if you are in a relationship, somewhere there's going to be conflict. Because you're in that relationship. It kind 
of reminds me of a story I heard, kind of a humorous story, about a man who was stranded for many years all alone on a remote desert island in the South Pacific. Eventually he was rescued after many years stranded alone on that island. His rescuers noticed something very strange when they approached him. They saw three structures there near the beach that he had built on the island. You know, three buildings to the rescuers seem rather perplexing for just one man. They asked him, why did you build three structures since you were all alone? He said, well, this one was my house. That one was my church that I disciplined myself to go to frequently on a weekly basis. The third one, well, that was the church I used to go to before I got my feelings hurt. Yeah, oh wow. Like I said, if we're in relationships, if we're going to be really serious about building community wherever we live, and certainly in the body of Christ... We have got to understand how to resolve the conflict that will surely come in relationships. You know, I think probably the first thing I would want us to really understand is that we shouldn't be shocked when conflict occurs. Why should we be shocked even spiritual pillars experience conflict in their spiritual relationships. Let me remind you about Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, in verse 36, it says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord, and let's see how they're doing. Sounds pretty innocent, doesn't it? Well, Barnabas, he wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Look at verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark... And sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Well, I will tell you, if two brothers of that spiritual stature can have such a, the Bible describes, sharp disagreement then why should we be surprised if we have conflict in relationships in the body of Christ? Over in Philippians chapter 4, we read about two women. Didn't want to leave the sisters out here. Yodia and Syntyche. Syntyche, I guess is how you pronounce it, but you don't know anyway, so what do you care? 
And in verse 2 of Philippians 4, it says, I pleaded with Yodia and I pleaded with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companions, help these women, since they have contended by my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Man, here are two women that apparently had such a spat going between the two of them that even Paul hears about it, and it's recorded for all eternity. Bad timing. Right as he was writing the book of Philippians. And he pleads with with others in the church to get involved and help them resolve conflict. I've been a disciple now about 37 years. In fact, just over 37 years. I can count on probably one hand, maybe two at the most, where I've needed somebody else to help me overcome a snag in a relationship with another member of the body of Christ. And I am so thankful that I've had that over 30, some almost four decades. I remember one time getting on a plane and flying all the way to Berlin, Germany with Gordon Ferguson to help resolve a conflict in the Berlin church between a brother that I knew quite well from Canada who had moved over there and a church leader. That shows you the extent, the seriousness that we need to take unity in the body of Christ. And it's hard for me to look back and see any time where where I've sat down with others to resolve conflict in my relationship with someone where with outside help that conflict has not been bridged. You know, the Bible says that we need to be very aware that struggles in relationships, even close friendships, can come and will come from time to time. And we better understand biblically how we need to think about that and how we need to be on our guard against Satan and his schemes in relationships and in building unity and community in the body of Christ. And so what I really want to spend my time on here this morning is is what does the Bible say are biblical concepts to resolving conflict when it occurs in our relationships? Take good notes on this. Because trust me, Someday, too, you might be building a church where you got your feelings hurt. So you could leave that church and move on to another. You're going to have conflict, in other words, and you need to know how to resolve it, and you need to help others resolve it when it occurs. The first one, and perhaps what I call the golden rule of conflict resolution, is number one, choose the right person. Choose the right person. In Matthew 18 and verse 15, the Bible says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. You know, if this one verse 
was just adhered to by Christians in conflict situations, the devil would be thwarted. Too many times, our first instinct is to go to the non-offending parties. No, it's to go to someone else. And the Bible says the first place that you always need to start is go to the person that you feel has sinned against you. It goes on in Matthew 18, if that doesn't work out, then get someone to go back with you and go a second time with a witness. If that doesn't work, then get more of the church involved or even bring it before the church, but do whatever it takes to resolve the conflict. You see, too often we go to the wrong person. We go to those who will merely listen, sympathize, and who we can whine about. And what happens is we are guilty of slander. You know, if you need advice, go get advice, but you don't need to even mention who the person is, usually in those situations. Just get advice. I want to share about a most unusual surgery. A surgeon named Dr. Kanan searched for a candidate to undergo surgery so that he could prove that epidemic, uh, uh, epidectomies could be done under loco anesthesia. Up to that time, it was pretty unheard of to do a loco uh, painkiller for a surgery. At last, finally, after trying and trying and trying with no luck, you can imagine, finally a patient was found who was prepared for surgery and willed into the operating room. A loco painkiller was applied, leaving the patient able to still talk and respond as the surgery progressed. We now take that for granted. As he had done hundreds of times, Dr. Kanan located the appendix, skillfully removed it, and finished the surgery. During the operation, the patient complained only of minor discomfort. He was taken to a hospital room, recovered quickly, and was dismissed just two days later. Dr. Kanan had demonstrated that loco anesthesia was a viable and sometimes preferable alternative thanks to the willingness of this brave volunteer. Now why do I tell you this story? Because the courageous volunteer for that surgery was Dr. Kanan himself. He had performed the surgery on himself and removed his own appendix. Well, none of you would have stepped forward, so what do you want him to do? I mean, how amazing is that? Yet there's a, there's a great application here for this first point. Choose the right person. And that application is sometimes the right person is facing you right in the mirror. I believe that's what Jesus was saying when he talks about 
conflict in Matthew chapter 7. And he says, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck? Yeah, a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Jesus says, hypocrite! First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eyes. Do you really understand what the Lord is saying here? He's saying some of us, some of us are so picky that we're trying to constantly pick at other disciples. There's a little speck here, so hey, I need to talk to you about something. Brother, do you have a moment that there's something I really need to get off my heart? And Jesus says so many times, in contrast to what you have going on in your own heart, and in your own righteousness, it's, it's sort of like this. I thought I would paint an image for you. It's sort of like this. And, and you're going around trying to take a speck out of somebody else's eye. Now that's not too easy to do because you can't even get that close to them and you, you're taking out half of their Bible talk right there just turning. I want you to really understand God is saying you got you got a beam, you got a plank, you got a two by four in your own eye when often you're trying to nitpick your brother or sister in Christ. And I, I just really want you to think about that when you think about conflict resolution because often I have found the first thing to help me to resolve conflict is to choose the right person. And more than not, it starts by looking in the mirror, dealing with my own unrighteousness, and realizing, you know, in contrast, wow, what, what do I have to be bitter about? What do I have to complain about? Humility is the key to righteousness. Point number two. We've got to commit to urgency when conflict occurs. Ephesians 4 verse 26 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. You know, the passage stresses, it stresses the need for reconciliation before another day goes by. If Satan get us to procrastinate in dealing with conflict, what you're going to see is communication is going to deteriorate rapidly. You're going to start reading things into things that aren't even happening. You're going to start shutting down and you're going to feel totally out of it and the real issue is you're not being urgent. It says in your anger, boy, don't give in to sin. Don't give the devil a foothold. You know, small misunderstandings and small issues will snowball into bigger ones. 
if we don't speak honestly and truthfully to one another. Urgency, again, is stressed in Matthew 5, in verse 23, when Jesus says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... Maybe we should have read this before missions contribution. (laughs) If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go. First, go. And be reconciled to them. And then come and offer your gift. You know, procrastination is the kidnapper of souls. It's been said that procrastination is the chief recruiting officer of hell. Those are two of my favorite quotes I found on procrastination. And i got to tell you, when you understand how hideous sin can be, conflict can be, then you need to get urgent about it. Behind our house is a bit of a prairie. Our property backs up a little bit to like a park area. And uh, this prairie started getting really, really high. And a lot of the neighbors were noticing that, you know, the insects were starting to get out of control, rodents and so on. And so they came on Friday and they mowed the grass. There's two big trees just about from here to where that monitor is from my back fence. And I noticed that more couldn't get very close around those trees. And so I got my weed whacker out on Friday night and went over to those trees. And I got the thing going and I was whacking those weeds away just to clean it up. And all of a sudden as I'm whacking those weeds, a copperhead, a good sized copperhead, this was not a baby, goes jumping. And I jumped higher. He said, what did you do next? I got out of there really fast. And I got a feeling he's still there. Because that's one of the few places he could really burrow in and hide. I didn't even see him. He said, what did you do? What are you going to do? Well, I went to the hardware store yesterday and I got this. And I'm going to put this right on my back porch. And uh, if I see him anywhere on my property, I'm going to practice good Texas hospitality and his head's coming off. You can say that's really cruel. Yeah, so he's getting bit. And my point is, I'm urgent. I find myself going to the back window a lot and just looking at my yard. Because I want to get him before he gets me. And I know he's coming for me. I know he's not going anywhere. 
And I wonder sometimes if, if I'm more urgent to get the snake out of my grass than you are to get the snake out of your grass. Both are going to bite you. Jesus says, I better put this down. Jesus says we need to be urgent, urgent in dealing with a brother or sister that has something against us. I don't know what I did to the copperhead. I don't know why he has something against me, but it's me or him, and it's going to be him. (laughs) Commit to urgency. Point number three. A real gem in conflict resolution is convey absolute honesty. Ephesians 4 talks about the beauty of Christian relationships in verse 25 when it says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we were all members of one body. You know, Christians, Christians have the unique God-given environment to speak the truth in love. Love is key, I find, when speaking the truth. And that's why I've got to look at the right person first and make sure my heart is right. My heart is where it needs to be. I'm willing to quickly forgive. I own what I've done. But the bottom line is, Christians must commit to speaking the truth in love to one another. You say, what does that mean? It means that we should be just as open and honest in communicating directly to the person we're in conflict with as we would be if we were talking to another individual about that person. To me, that's the test. You know, you may be talking to your spouse about a relationship conflict that you have. My question is, have you talked to the person? My question is, are you being just as open with that person about how you're feeling, what this has meant to you, as you are to your spouse? And the truth is, when we put off all falsehood, and when we can speak the truth in love, then it's amazing how all quiet reservations kind of come to the surface, they're dealt with, they fade away, and you have true and lasting healing occurring. You know, a little girl was being punished by being forced to eat alone in the corner of the dining room. The family who disciplined her, well, they paid no attention to her until they heard her prayer before taking the food. She prayed, I thank thee, Lord, for preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. As humorous as that is, boy, it stands as an apt reminder that we can appear to have really spiritual words, 
while masking an inner spirit of bitterness, resentment, anger, envy. You can't bless God while cursing your brothers. And the bottom line is we need to be truthful to each other. I have learned to appreciate how important it is to say things in love over the years and with great humility and owning what I need to own first, even sitting down with the person and saying, hey, help me understand what I've done to hurt you. That's a really good place to start. And owning what you need to own. Sometimes it's a completely separate conversation then later when you talk about the block in your relationship. And I realize that while conflict of this magnitude is rare, I also realize God gave us some really great principles, obviously understanding that these times would come at some point in our Christian walk. The fourth point is we've got to get to the point where we cancel all debts. We've got to just let it go. Reminds me of a song I heard once, twice, a thousand times. In Romans 13 and verse 8 it says, Let no debts remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. I mean, how amazing is that? That when you let it go, when you let no debt remain outstanding, when you forgive freely, God says you fulfilled the law. All thousands of those commandments are summed up by let no debt remain outstanding. In Ephesians 4 and verse 32 it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. I can't think of a better lead into communion than that. Let Christ be the standard. As He has forgiven us, so we too need to be freely willing to forgive. I love the Civil War period for its heroes in our rich American history. And in the days following the Civil War, General Robert E. Lee, who of course commanded the South, in the days following the war, well, you might be surprised to learn that he worked incredibly diligently, like Lincoln, to assist in the healing of our nation. He moved and worked towards a unified country after the war had ended. The story is told of Lee that one day after the war he was taken to see a woman who, get this, her prized tree had its branches shot away by Union artillery. She was so bitter 
that she had lost her prize shade tree. She refused to, up to that point, embrace reconciliation. Sounds really silly, doesn't it? Looking back now, sounds rather petty. I mean, there were those who had lost their sons, their husbands, who had freely forgiven. The story goes that Lee simply went to see her and had this advice. It was simply, cut it down. Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. You know, sometimes that's about as simple as it really needs to be. Let it go. You're not going to change it. You're not going to be able to put this back together. You're not going to be able to fix it. You just simply have to decide yourself that as much as it depends on you, the good book says, live at peace. Live at peace with all men. You see, my question is, who comes to mind in your life that you don't have peace currently with? I'm sure there's a name that likely can pop in there. I'm sure there's a face. Maybe we need to think of those who went through the Civil War. Is there anything more divisive than brother against brother? Neighbor against neighbor? And the advice simply by the man who had fought and led one side of that war said to that woman, forget it. Cut it down. Just get that tree out of your life, cut it down, and let it go. You see, sometimes you can't seek shade in the shadow of broken trees. Any more than you can find solace in harboring resentments and bitterness for past hurts. I'm just here to tell you, life is hard, guys. Life is hard. I've lived a lot of years. Life is hard. Tough things happen even in relationships in this beautiful community we call the body of Christ. Don't cling to the broken branches of the past like the old shot up tree. Just cut it down and forget it. As we prepare our thoughts to center around the taking of the Lord's Supper, the Bible teaches that as the church grows, Satan will do everything he can to cause division. Even well-meaning people, even believers, can be used as tools of Satan, as Judas reminds us. At Calvary, the Roman soldiers divided the earthly belongings of Jesus 
But the scriptures record very interestingly, they decided to gamble for his seamless robe rather than tear it. Now these were hardened men. But they saw the beauty of the robe and they said, now better one of us has it than to tear it and divide it. What's really interesting about that is historians tell us that the church, the early church, used this seamless garment of Christ as an illustration of how we need to preserve unity in the body of Christ. For them to divide the church was to tear or destroy something of great value. Something of incredible beauty and worth that belonged to Christ Himself. We're going to go ahead now and partake of communion. There's so many things from the lesson today that we could focus on. A name, a hurt, something we need to cut down and forget. Let it go. Maybe it's just that we need to vow as older Christians that we are going to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I hope we'll think about the seamless garment of Christ that even the most hardened of men realize that it would be a tragedy to tear. And let us in that spirit commit to doing whatever it takes in our Christian walk, our Christian marathon, this long journey homeward, if God so allows it, to keep that unity at all cost. Lot to think about as we go to God now in prayer to partake of the communion.